Hi, my name is Titi Mutendi and you are listening to Enterprising Families Podcast. Welcome to the world of Enterprising Families where we discuss the issues of governance, next gen and looking at how families of wealth and family businesses growing into families of wealth can preserve their wealth, become better as they go forward into a new generation. Hi everyone and welcome to this episode of Enterprising Families and on this episode of Enterprising Families we are going to be tackling the conversation around best practices for exit planning and mergers and acquisition strategies especially the emotional side of business transitions and letting go. I am so excited to be having this conversation with my guest Laurie Bartman and welcome Laurie. Thank you so much for having me. I would like you to give an opportunity to my audience to get to know you. If you could just give us a quick introduction of who you are and the work that you're doing before we get into our topic of the day. Of course. And again, thank you so much for having me on your show, Tzitzi. I am Lori Barkman. I call myself a business transition Sherpa. I work with business owners in the lower middle market, which is companies with revenues under, under 30 million in U.S., And I like to say that I work from transition to transaction. I work with company founders, family businesses, entrepreneurs who have acquired business to increase company value and then guide them through the complex process of letting go. My background is that I have over 20, 25 years in as an operator in different size companies from small to big. And I have my own firm called Small Dot Big, which is where the name comes from. And we can talk a little bit more about that. And also I am a mergers and acquisition certified uh, advisor with Stony Hill Advisors. And so that's where I'll talk about both sides of this coin from pre-M&A work that we need to do to get ready to when we are ready and what the M&A transactions can look like. Awesome stuff. And I am really looking forward to unpacking this conversation with you today. So looking at the emotional side of business is always probably the hardest part because when businesses start out, uh, families are entrepreneurs, startups, and they're just trying to get that uh, product out there or the service out there or adding um, to their financial situation so that um, there is more wealth within the family. But we never really think with the end of mind, as they always say, everything starts off great. But then when you get towards the end, we don't really define what that is going to look like. And exit planning and mergers and acquisition strategies are probably one of some of the biggest strategies that people then use as they get older and probably next gens don't want to get involved in the business and things like that. So if you could just unpack for us, what does exit planning or mergers and acquisition look like from an emotional side for families that then face it? Yeah, of course. And maybe a place, good place to start is just talking about exit planning and what does that even mean? It's it's this term that people throw around, but what's exit mean? I like to start with one word transition. And I'll ask, I'll ask you, Titi, if I say the word transition, what comes to mind? Um, I think change. I think some sort of change from one thing to another thing, whether it's a growth or development or a complete overhaul. 
Okay. Any other words come to mind? Um, a switch over, which still, I think, I think the biggest thought is change. So in any format change, because I think also it gives that, that feeling of there is some sort of movement, but then it's not always natural, but sometimes it can be a natural progression. I love your answer. It's, it's a great answer. And we can talk a little bit about, I think the different dynamics of your answer. When I do CEO workshops around, around the country, I I do a workshop that's about three, four hours. And this is how I typically begin the session as I ask the owners and CEOs in the room, when I say this word, you know, what comes to mind and I write them down on a flip chart and change is the most common word that I, that I get in the room. But then what else I do is I, I sort of put them into buckets and I say, okay, which words are, have more of a positive connotation, which words have more neutral and which words have more negative connotation. So change is more neutral, I think, and overhaul could be uh, positive or negative. It's hard to say. Um, it could be probably then neutral, a switch over again, neutral movement is also an interesting um term that you chose because it does allude to the process. So a transition alludes to a process that this is part of something. And again, back to why I call myself a business transition Sherpa, because I see entrepreneurship as a journey and it's something when you've built your business, you haven't done it by yourself. And likewise, when you're starting to think about aspects of this transition journey, you're not going to work on this by yourself. And so it's a, it's a movement. It it is for sure. And the question that you, you know, you're posing to me is really about how do owners, business owners, family leaders, how do they define the end? And it's difficult for multi-generational families to define the end because they'll feel a lot of guilt potentially Mm -hmm. that they are the ones that are ending, you know, maybe a second generation or a third generation entity. Um, it's, it's sometimes a presumption of, of being a continuous entity that can, um, really move that emotion forward. And so they have to break the, they have to break the emotional cycle on that. That can be a big deal. Um, so defining the end exit planning, if we think about exit as a transition, exit is a change exit is a, some, someone leaving and starting something new. The emotional side of this is really about letting go. It's about change of identity. And so many business owners, especially if their name is on the door, have trouble with us. And it's understandable as to why that can be. So it is a really good place to start with a lot of my uh, clients. What I do is we start with their goals and we get to know their business, Mm -hmm. their personal goals or business goals, and then also their financial goals. So exit planning in that context is really trying to understand where the business is today from a strategic standpoint to where they might want to be. They don't have all, have to have all the answers, but trying to think about um, that, that potential end state and what are those options? You know, we can talk through what are, what are some exit options? Um, But I'll say just at a high level, exit planning really is strategic planning. It's strategic planning with the knowledge of a timeline that there is a process to it, that there are deliverables we need to hold ourselves accountable to. There's metrics we need to have and measure over time. And that we need to be able to execute to, just like any strategic plan. Getting it written is only step one. We have to execute to it. 
And then we have to be able to integrate it in across um, our different aspects of the business, especially these larger, more complicated companies have more, you know, just any, just as uh, with anything in life, right? The bigger you are, sometimes the more complex it is. Mm-hmm. The smaller companies can integrate potentially more easily. Um, but then also these go the goals. And if it's a family business, there's different shareholders, different stakeholders, getting aligned on what those goals are is super important and can also be a reason why it's difficult to get off the starting block. But all of that put together, I think, is exit planning at its core. Exit planning is strategic planning for this entrepreneurial journey where you start to think about transition options and what that potential end might look like. And I say end in quotes, because one end really can be a beginning. Mm -hmm. I love how you threaded the journey um, together and also the fact that you um, refer to the experience and your work as being um, an exit Sherpa. Um, So before we fast forward into what you spoke about, I would just like you to just give a picture of what a Sherpa is and what the work that a Sherpa does in in relation, especially to the exit and M&A, because I know there are some of my listeners who whose first language might not necessarily be English, but um, getting a picture of what, it, what the job entails, what you do would really bring more clarity to the conversation. Absolutely. If I'm going to put a, more of a business title on to what I do, I'll say that I'm a business transition and mergers and acquisitions advisor, and I consult with business owners and advise them on all aspects of growing their business, building value, working on exit strategy, strategic planning, and selling the business and buying a business. And when I call myself a business transition Sherpa, it's really an analogy or a picture or, you know, I'm trying to paint the picture of something. So it's not a job description in, in, in that sense. So I don't want to have anyone go Googling it and seeing <laughs> and seeing that, wait a minute, that's not a job title. It's not. A Sherpa in, this, in uh, the mountain climbing world is someone who's helping you with the path and, your, and your, the things you need along the way. And that's why I'm using that as an analogy or a picture, because I don't have all the answers. I have a process and I'm going to take you on this journey and be with you on this journey and support you. And so it's really, you know, it's really an analogy. Um, as much as it it is an analogy, I think um, as, as people, especially with family businesses, um, technical jargon sounds beautiful, but um it's when we have stories that we can weave together. So just the image of um, a Sherpa guiding me through the mountains and exit planning and mergers and acquisition, like you alluded to, is is not the easiest of journeys because there's so much emotional attachments depending on which generation is going through it and the reasons for people going through this transition. And like you said, it could be an end that signals the end, but it could be an end that signals a, a new beginning. Thus, the the transition conversation that um, you then bring on onto the table. What are some of the key reasons you have seen family businesses um, then take the route of exit 
um, strategies or mergers and acquisitions. And can you um, also just unpack the difference between an exit strategy and a merger and acquisition? Yes. Okay. So the first question you asked is, is why would a, why would a family business make that choice to sell or an end in the big picture? Maybe we start with the second question, because then I think it could become a little more clear as to why certain choices are, are made. So if we think about exit planning and this word exit, it's, you know, again, this connotation that there's going to be a change or transition in the sense of a company, it's a change of control, a change of ownership. And we can, we can, we can look at it as um, there's different aspects to exit options. So one of the things I like to say is, you know, or I ask the, that's the proverbial question, who should own your business after you? That's the high level question because the sad reality, and it's true, hundred percent of business owners are going to leave their company one day. Now in a family business where we have many different owners, potentially because of the family relationships, maybe some are operational, maybe some are not, um, but nonetheless, there could be some discussion around who should own the business after you. And there are three core answers to that. One is generally known as a strategic buyer. The second is a financial buyer. And the third is called a related buyer. So I'll talk about the different types of buyers, starting with the first one. The st a strategic buyer could be a competitor. It could be someone, a company that's in your, in your ecosystem, in your industry, maybe not a competitor, but they're related and somehow maybe in the, in the supply chain. Um, it could be a consolidator. So essentially a strategic buyer is a company that has a way to really maximize the assets of your business and, and they see strategic purpose and alignment in bringing your companies together. Sometimes it's because of the team. If you've ever heard of the term aqua hire, uh, so acquire and hire kind of put together. Sometimes technology companies, this can be common where a technology company is, is bought not only for its tech, but maybe it's really more for the people. And in today's environment where talent is, there's such a you know dynamic market for talent, sometimes this can be an interesting strategy. So again, just generally speaking, the first category is strategic buyers. The second category are financial buyers. And a financial buyer is typically a private equity firm where there is a pool of money that's put together from, what we call from an institution. An institution doesn't have to be a bank. It can be these private equity groups that get money you know, from limited partners and then they make investment decisions. Private equity groups are very common and um, this method, what they'll do is they'll do a large investment and they'll call that a platform deal. And then they might do smaller investments that they call bolt on and they'll, or tuck in, and they'll put them together over time as part of their portfolio. Also, there can be private equity groups that sponsor management teams to buy out the company. And the benefit to the private equity group in that sense um, could be that they really are maintaining, you know, really retaining the management team um, to go forward and, and motivating them forward. 
Another category, which also relates to family businesses, but on this side of it is they've, they've created a family office. So maybe a family business has had an exit and they have money to invest. In the United States, there's about 30,000 family offices that are doing investing and they kind of look like a private equity firm, but it's their own money and they're making investment decisions. And some of these family offices are acquiring companies and having them in their portfolio. A difference between a family office investment strategy and a private equity investment strategy sometimes can be the time horizon. Um, PE groups typically are five to seven years of holding it before they resell. A family office might have a longer time horizon because they see it as an important asset class in their family holdings and um, investment strategy. And then the last um, category uh, here, well, one more I'll mention on the financial buyer side. Um, these are individual buyers. We call them acquisition entrepreneurs, and they may have their own ability to fund, or they might have some partners, silent partners or active operational partners. Um, but typically these are individuals or small groups that are looking to buy a business and run it themselves. And then related buyers, uh, this third category are very common in family businesses because a related buyer could literally be related. It could be the next generation, um, if family, it could be management where it's related in the sense of they know, they know the ins and outs of the company. Um, it could be, uh, in the United States, there's a, um, uh, government program that's, uh, got a lot of tax benefits called an ESOP, ESOP, and it stands for employee stock ownership plan. Um, I won't go into too much detail about it, but there's a lot of, for the right, for the right fit, there's, uh, there's some, some nice tax benefits. Um, so it's not for every company, but it is a good option. So this back to the, to the main question, who should own your business after you? If we can go back to the goals and say, well, what are the goals of this company and what's important, what's important to you as you think about that, it could be legacy. It could be, um, you know, the family name needs to always be on the door. It could be, um, well, we really don't have any uh, specific goals for, for the community or legacy, but we do for our people. And there's certain things that are important to us for our people. Or we'd say, oh, I'll never sell to that competitor. I hate them. <laughs> and so depending on what the goals are can really influence the direction of the answer about who might be the best fit or which option might be the best fit. This ESOP option, which I, I mentioned in the United States, is really very interesting for companies who their employees are quite important to them. They want to give them an equity stake in the business and help, you know, have them be part of the, of the company's growth over time. Um, for other companies, it's more about, I want to sell to the highest bidder. Um, it doesn't really matter to us. And for others, when they've gone through the process, they've realized maybe that a financial buyer isn't the best fit, right? So there's no one answer here. That's why I'm putting it out this way is that there's a, a landscape of options and it's worth exploring those different options to understand what the pros and cons are. And, and every deal can be different, even if we say, well, we've gotten this offer from a strategic and this offer from a, a financial buyer. How are they different or similar? The terms of the deal can really vary. So I'll just sort of pause there. So at a high level, again, there's 
different exit channels and we can make choices about which ones to explore based on our, um, our exit planning goals. Uh, that's so fascinating. And I, I appreciate that there are many choices that families can look into and consider. So my next question would be, how do families decide which is the best option for them? Um, particularly um, in the fact that, is it a decision that is should be left to just the company board itself or should it go into family governance structures like uh, the family council or the core family that are interested in and have shares within the business? Um, who, who is part of that decision and what are some of the, um, the main drivers that you've seen um, help the this strategy become um, a well-done option? So in these private company markets, we recognize that the buyer is the one that's determining the value perceived. And in these different transfer channels that I described, sometimes that influences how the value is perceived, right? So a different type of buyer or investor is going to perceive the value of that business differently and the strategic reasons for the acquisition differently. So again, at a high level, the types of buyers or investors we talked about were partners, management or family, family office investors, strategic buyers, financial buyers, okay? So those, those types of folks. And we say, well, what motives does the seller have? Maybe the seller is selling because, or selling, you know, they can sell partial. Um, they don't have to sell hundred percent of the company. Maybe they want to sell um, some percentage, maybe a minority, we call it a minority recapitalization, or they want to sell um, a, a majority so they can have a recap of, uh, and they'll make a choice for that type of transaction based on what their goals are. So again, is it a need for growth and they need outside capital? Um, is the motive to sell because of a retirement or there's just a lot of misalignment amongst the, the partners or owners? Is there burnout? Is the industry just on a downward cycle that they can't get out of? Um, and Or is it a private equity group that's looking for liquidity event? Um, is it because there's no succession in the family and they feel like, well, we don't have any internal options. We got to look outside. Um, the seller, the seller also from looking at sources of capital is thinking about this in the sense of how they might want to, you know, put it all together. And so your question about how do they make these choices really depends on the governance structure of the company. If the company has a board of directors with a you know fiduciary responsibility, uh, absolutely, these are the types of discussions that are being had in the boardroom, and they have a fiduciary responsibility to get the best offer they can, you know, in terms of um, their role, you know that. But they also might make other choices if they if it's a family business and you have a family council, then most likely those um, those people will, will absolutely weigh in. And it could be more informal, you know, really that's a larger company maybe that has that structure. Sometimes companies that are less than 40 million in the U.S., let's say, you know, it's common that they don't have 
a formalized board of directors or board of advisors or non-fiduciary roles, but they also are people that can help weigh in on decision. They won't make the decision for the for the company owners, but they can help provide guidance um, more informally. It could be other other advisors that advise business owners. And then there's always the, you know, your friend at the golf club, but I'm not talking about necessarily the friend at the golf club. I think this is, you know, these are really important decisions and you need to rely on people who have some experience in this area, either as professionals, accounting firms, law firms are great resources. Um, folks like myself who work in mergers and acquisitions as an advisor, and also again, the people that you, that, you know, and trust. So the who really could vary. Um, there's one anecdote I have from someone that came on my podcast and my show is called Succession Stories. And one of the one of the anecdotes was there was a family business. It was two brothers. They were third generation and they had gotten everything ready to sell. The company was where they had offers. They were about to commit. And then grandma said no. And that is literally the story. Grandma said no we are not selling. And the moral of that story is make sure whomever is needs to be involved to make that decision that you know who they are and that you involve them along the way, because you want to avoid grandma saying no at the 11th hour. And, you know, I, I don't know how that story ends <laughs> that if eventually they sold the company after she passed away, I suspect that may be the case. Mm -hmm. um, but again, there could be some, some restrictions informally or more formally that prevent that prevent that type of transition. In her case, it was just that, no, we're not doing it on my watch, you know, type of mentality. Yes, absolutely. Wow. Thank you so much, um, Lori, for unpacking this very interesting topic. And I think I've learned uh, a whole lot and I'm sure my audience um, have learned um, in uh, the, the high end um format or discussion or viewpoint um, of, of mergers and acquisitions, as well as exit planning. Now, I would like to just um, slowly relook at um, how people can engage you to understand the more in-depth uh, part of this journey and uh, possibly um, look at working with you and, and your team and making it happen in um, in a way that is comfortable for family as well as um, manageable for the business system. Absolutely. I love to work with business owners to help them find clarity in this process. And it's wonderful to talk with people when they want to start exit planning, when they have time on their side and they're not in a rush. And a way to get started with me is to reach out or go to my website and we start with our, we start with goals. We'll do a deep dive, a discovery of, and talk about your business. We'll talk about you, your goals. And if they're interested in a complimentary one hour consultation and a value assessment of the business um, from a strengths and opportunities in their industry, there is a, an assessment that is complimentary. Again, they can take it online. It's 15 minutes, it's confidential, and it's, it gives back um, some really interesting insights for them. And it's a great place to start if they just wanna understand some of the value drivers that they might be looking at in their company and potential risks. And that's really the biggest thing is can we find some of these tripwires that might hold their company value back? And that 
way, the way to get to that assessment is to go to my website, smalldotbig.com. And if you scroll down into the footer on the bottom, there is a link for the value builder survey. Um, another way to get there is if you want a little shorthand is meetlauriebarkman.com. And that my name is L-A-U-R-I-E. So meetlauriebarkman.com. And then you'll see the invitation to schedule a meeting with me and take this assessment and get some eBooks on the other side um, as a report out. So again, that's complimentary. Awesome stuff. Thank you once again, Lori. And um, I'm looking forward to possibly having another conversation or further unpacking um, exit strategies and mergers and acquisition. And as um, Lori has given you all the details where you can really get in depth and uh, find out how she can work with you or how the process work to really understand um, what the impact is on both family and business. But once again, thank you so much, Lori. I do appreciate the time you gave us today. Oh, you're so welcome, Cece. It was great to be with you. Mm -hmm.